For Seagulls fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Brighton videos and podcasts, download the free BHA Seagulls app now from the App Store and Google Play. for all those up Swindon fans but you're not there yet and it goes oh it's gone in Richard left foot is what a volley it's the stuff of champions it's the stuff of dreams and Donate races it on goal and Donate 3-0 the Amex goes wild what a goal Snake from Tompkins. What a goal from Glenn Murray. He's hardly had a touch. On he'll go. Michael Smith. Into what he's Hello and welcome to episode 67 of Together, a Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. Um, we had a bit of a rough day yesterday against Aston Villa. Uh, received a lot of uh, unkind feedback on social media. So I thought instead of answering back too hard, I'd just address that in the show. Um, not a great result. Uh, I think, you know, we went into this expecting a win, um, needing a win, really. Uh, and, you know, we'll we'll discuss kind of the fallout from this going forward. But uh, we have more to discuss this week than usual, which is great because I, I love being able to do it. Um, so... Uh, kind of like a top five stories of the week setup. Um, we're going to do a bit of a transfer roundup today uh, of what's happened so far um, in the club, outside of the club. Um, anything noteworthy for us, of course. Other than that, uh, we'll kind of leave it as is. Um, really because the transfer window has been pretty quiet overall. Uh, the only club really strengthening heavily are our team that we played yesterday, Aston Villa. Um, so, transfer roundup. Let's take a look at the the potential outgoing. So, uh, Glenn Murray. Glenn Murray uh, didn't even make the squad against Sheffield Wednesday. The idea was that he would be going out uh, at least on loan, if not on a full tra- full transfer. Um, that has not taken place. Um, I'm wondering if teams are simply not willing to kind of gamble um, on Glenn Murray at his age in the Championship, or whether. Uh, you know, I think it takes a very special um, mould to be able to want to take him in. It's got to be a team that are kind of chasing uh, promotion in the championship, but one that also doesn't have a huge amount of firepower. Um, and I don't feel like there's a lot of clubs in that kind of top seven, top eight that fit that criteria. So it may just be that the, the interest, if there is any, are from teams not high enough in the table for Glenn to want to move on to. Uh, or there just isn't interest at all. Who knows? Um, but it looks like for now, Glenn is staying put. Um, he is kind of integrated back into the 18 over the last couple of weeks and has made a couple of sub-appearances. So whatever kind of iron was hot in the fire at the beginning of the week, um, month rather, has certainly gone cold. Um, and I'm, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm not upset by that at all. I would prefer him to stay, uh, given our current situation with the uh, with the inability to score goals. So anyone who, who knows how to put the ball in the net, I would keep them on. Um, another one to talk about, Lewis Dunk. So Chelsea reportedly in for him. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. There was a, a real kind of uptick in tweets and, uh, and, you know, all this kind of content saying that Lewis Dunk was on his way to Chelsea. Um, Bucky's odds shortened 
incredibly fast. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure that if you're not aware, um, you know, when people online say that the odds are shortening heavily for a player to move to a club, um, those odds are always easily skewed. Uh, you know, this is a case of someone could have put £100 um, on Lewis Dunk to move to Chelsea. And given the, the lack of bets in this kind of market, it is enough to sway that like several points in. Um, I used to work in the gambling industry, so I've seen it happen a lot of times before. Um, and when it comes to the bookies, uh, they're very rarely wrong. Um, but the only time I would say that they really don't hold a huge amount of weight is when it comes to transfers um, and managerial movement in terms of managers coming in. So I'm not too worried about the odds shortening. Um, but, you know, Lewis Dunk for £50 million to Chelsea. Um, normally, I would say I'm not too concerned. Uh, I feel like he would kind of do the right thing and stay with us until the end of the season. Um, but Frank Lampard has made it very clear he wants another centre-half um, and they would want to hit kind of hit the ground running and start and with the Euros in the summer you know what better time is there for Lewis Dunk to come in and stake a claim in one of the best clubs in the country um, and try and win that kind of England spot uh, in the coming months so and not only that but Lewis Dunk is a big Chelsea fan if you've if you followed him on Instagram um, when he had an Instagram account I'm not sure if he still has one actually uh, I feel like it's been quiet if he does, but he used to have one for sure. Um, and you know, it's no secret that Lewis Dunk, you know, likes is a, is a Chelsea fan. Um, so if there is one big club that he would want to push his look for, it's them. So is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is the big question, right? Fifty million quid for our best centre half by a country mile. Um, it's kind of a bit of a Dale Stevens situation in the Championship, right? Is it worth risking uh, losing out? on Premier League survival uh, to make the money off of him. Um, you know, staying up is worth 150 million. Uh, Lewis Dunk is worth 50. So do it, to me, it's not worth it. Um, you know, I would work hard with him to try and keep him until the summer at least. Um, and then, you know, who could we bring in to replace him? We would need an incredibly capable centre-half to come in and replace him. And where, where do they, they don't grow on trees. So I would be kind of concerned if he does leave, um, especially with the fact that we seem to be uh, kind of very quiet in the window so far this 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 month um, when we quite clearly need help desperately uh, up front. And, you know, we, we haven't made any moves at all yet. So... It would be uh, it would be interesting. Uh, I think the long term view would be, of course, to allow Ben White to come in and kind of replace Lewis Dunk uh, if we were to stay up. If we weren't, I think it would just be a case of White would then go up with Leeds, uh, pay a pay a big sum of money to keep him, um, and we would have to kind of rebuild from scratch at the back four. Um, you know, hopefully it would be kind of a, a mix of Shane Duffy, Dan Byrne, and. Adam Webster, um, if anyone came in for one of them, it would probably be Duffy, so we'd probably have like a Dan Byrne, Adam Webster back too, but we'll see. Um, as of right now, Lewis Dunk is still an Albion player, played a full 90 minutes against uh, against Villa um, and played pretty all right. So as of right now, nothing too much to worry about. Uh, another one coming back, Florin Andone. Uh, would you take him back into the fold? Um, could he integrate back into the team? So he has been hurt recently. Um, he hasn't really done a great deal in Turkey. Uh, but when fit, he was firing for them um, in both the league and Europe early on. You know, it was doing the rounds. He was scoring goals in the Champions League. He was scoring goals in the league. Um, not sure how many, but I mean, at least two, because I saw him. Um, 
you know, it's it's a weird one because if if Potter can work his kind of managerial magic on him and his his relationship management magic on him, um, I think he would be a great return. You know, he did enough early for us. Um, it's the attitude that's the problem, and you know, the attitude is what seen what saw Anthony Knockout leave, what saw Jurgen Lacardia leave, and it was the attitude that had Andone leave, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, is it going to be a case of being, you know, too much water under the bridge or are we going to be able to build that bridge over it and crack on? Um, I don't know. Personally, I would take him back. I think he offers something that I think he offers a slightly more refined Aaron Connolly role. Um, after seeing Connolly yesterday, you know, it shows that he still has a lot of work to do and a lot of development to do. Um, so I would like to see him back. Uh, if Potter can work his magic and make him kind of not want to kill someone every three minutes. Um, so we'll see. Nothing else other than that for transfer roundup uh, for, you know, for the Albion. Um, elsewhere, Aston Villa have strengthened massively. Um, it looks like they're going in for Slimani. Uh, they have already signed Samata, um, who I think is a huge mistake on our part to not go all out for him. Um, and then it looks like they may well be signing Steven and Zonzi as well um, from Roma, I believe, which would be, in my opinion, a very, very good signing as well. Um, he's a he's a you know a top midfielder for that kind of bottom twelve team, uh, and that was kind of what left him to go over to Europe and do so well in those bigger European clubs. Uh, was the success he had over here with the with the kind of smaller teams? So that would be an excellent signing if they get that over the line. Um, and you know, meanwhile, Albion are doing nothing at all, and Bournemouth have not signed anybody at all. Um, West Ham have not made any moves, I don't believe. Or did they sign a goalkeeper? Maybe it was them that signed the goalkeeper. Um, but for the most part, you know, Norwich haven't signed anybody. In fact, Norwich haven't signed anybody all season, which is you know bizarre. Um, there's a lot of teams down there that need to do work on their squads, and only Villa is so. You know, it, it's, we'll see if it works for them because they're going to be spending a lot of money this uh, this January. And if they go down anyway, um, they could be down there for quite some time repairing themselves financially. And if they stay if they stay up, you know, everyone will say it was a genius maneuver. We'll see. So uh, moving on to the other story I wanted to cover today before we hit Villa um, was the was the bushfire donations. Um, I think it's worth praising just about on every platform you can pick up. Uh, I spoke with uh, Matt Beadle on Love Sport Radio on Friday. Uh, we have changed our time now. Um, so we are now on at 9.30 p.m. until 10 p.m. Uh, UK time, uh, which is 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Um, and you can kind of do the math anywhere else in the world. Um, you can listen to it all over the world. In the UK, you, if you have a digital radio, you can tune into Love Sport Radio. Um, and if you do not have uh, digital radio, you have a couple of options anyway all around the world. Um, you can log into their website, you know, just so, like lovesportradio.co.uk or .com. I'm not sure which one it is. Um, and click on the live stream there. You don't have to make an account or anything. Just click to listen live. And then uh, the next one would be, of course, tune in the app. Uh, I live and die by that app because it's so useful for me to be able to listen to stuff back home through tuning. So you have that option. Um, and they asked me about it and, you know, they asked me my thoughts and I'll say there, uh, here, what I've said a couple of times, um, the Albion throughout my life have always been a hugely community based club. You know, we didn't have a great deal of choice. Um, we were in the doldrums from the very beginning and, 
you know, this is what I say to people now, like people accusing me of not being a fan because I was concerned about yesterday's result. Um, we're all fans, right? We all, you know, whether we're new or old, um, we've all experienced Albion suffer. You know, even if you only started supporting them last year, they were they were dire for four months. So, you know, I, when I started supporting them, we know that we we were near on nearly on the verge of extinction, and community is the reason that we were able to rebuild ourselves. So, the fact that you know this is our third season in the Premier League, um, we're paying these players thousands upon thousands upon thousands of, uh, of pounds, um, and they're able to do such great work like this. Um, it's it's just tremendous. Uh, Matt Ryan, if for anybody who kind of lived under a rock over the last two weeks, um, he actually offered to donate five hundred dollars for every registered save um, by all Premier League goalkeepers last weekend. So he was going to send uh, it would be the Wires Wildlife Rescue Emergency Fund that he supported, um, and I believe he actually ended up supporting them for about. $30,000. I think it was about $32,000. Um, Aaron Moy also made a personal donation to the Wires Wildlife Rescue. Um, and Albion actually met their donations um, and matched them. So, you know, it's just outrageous. You know, we are just so great um, at doing these things that we need to do. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to kind of talk about you know anything about it in terms of the politics of climate change or the fires or anything like that i you know if you want to you believe what you want to believe um uh, and i'll believe what i want to believe but the desolation uh, over there you know is harrowing it's it's awful to see it's been all over social media and the actions of the firefighters and the heroes on the front line saving people and animals is just heartwarming right you love to see it um even in the face of that terrible kind of disaster that's going on but uh, to see people like Matty Ryan contribute um, to taking the world down that kind of right path, uh, you know, what a top, top contribution from him. And it's not his first or last uh, excellent piece of community work that he's done. Um, and of course, Aaron Moy and the club as well, jumping in there to to join in and, and continue to contribute to this this ta this team um, and this organization being the, the, the organization they are. So I thought it was worth calling out. Um, and, you know, I would head over to his Twitter feed or his Instagram feed if you wanted to join in on the donations. Um, you know, that's up to you, but he has all of the, the links there. So if you wanted to head on over, if you haven't already. Um, so moving on to the kind of the meat and potatoes of this one, uh, Aston Villa, right? So normally we cover kind of the first, uh, the match facts, and then we head over to the uh, the player stats. And that's what I'm going to do today anyway. Um, same format, same usual thing. Uh, we're just going to change it up a little bit. We're going to take a look at it um, in 45-minute increments. So we had... Uh, I want to cover the first 45 minutes of match facts uh, and then the last 45 minutes of the match stats because um, it was a very Jekyll and Hyde performance um, in my view. So in the first half, uh, Albion had seven shots to their two, um, one on target to their none. You know, not great, but we had seven on sh seven shots, one on target. They had two shots, none on target. Uh, Fifty-one point five percent possession, seventy-nine percent pass accuracy. Uh, we won nine aerials to their eight, um, and we scored the goal that we needed to get the uh, to get the you know going with a lead um, at half time, and. 
we looked, especially after the goal, we looked like a team that were going to press on uh, and take the result, you know, and score another one or two goals. Um, you know, we looked in control, uh, albeit a little bit lackluster and slow. Um, but, you know, the result was the main thing and, and we looked to be on our way to getting it. Um, and overall, over the pitch, we pretty much dominated uh, proceedings. We were dispossessed an awful lot of times, uh, 10 to their four. Aaron Moy, four of them. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of times where Aaron Moy was kind of ganged up on um, and, you know, taken apart by four or five of their players. And it really wasn't very good. Um, but, you know, that first half, we went in at 1-0. We thought, yep, OK, come out in the second half and continue to do this and, and we may well be on our way. Um, but it wasn't to be. Second half was uh, an absolute disaster from the Albion standpoint. Um, we bent down to three shots. Uh, what on target? They had five shots with three on target. Our possession went up uh, 60% to 40%, which kind of tells you everything you need to know, right? Like we uh, we upped our possession and we did nothing with it. 79% um, pass success. Uh, you know, we won the aerial battle again and we won the tackle battle again. But overall, we were, we were much poorer in that second half um, and went on to concede a goal that, again, was at the fault of Aaron Moy. And, and it's weird to talk about it because, um, you know, Aaron Moy for the most part has been absolutely fantastic for us. Uh, he has put in an excellent shift every time he's played um, and has been pretty much the difference between us winning and losing a couple of games this season. And yet uh, you can kind of place, <laughs> this is going to be a controversial one, but you can kind of place the entire five points dropped against Villa on Aaron Moy's shoulders um, because he is the one that got sent off in the first game, whether it was harsh or not. Of course, it was harsh, but, you know, he lost. He got sent off, and we got beat. And uh, and then the second time around, he is the one that gave away the ball um, to cost us the entire, you know, the entire game. And I thought, for the most part, we looked incredibly slow. Uh, we looked really unambitious. We looked uninspired. Um, and if there was ever a team that looked like they were going to go on and win it, it was almost certainly Aston Villa. Um, we seem to have become very easy to play against. Uh, and it's tough because we look like a team that have no other option other than playing it on the floor. Um, teams set up to simply put two men on Mopai and whoever else the second person is up front, um, put two people on them, mark them out of the game, uh, and we have no other outlet whatsoever. We are done and dusted at that point. Our Teeth are well and truly filed. Uh, we are muzzled. And teams simply just hold out as long as they can, knowing that the likelihood of us keeping a clean sheet is incredibly low. Um, and, you know, they're either going to catch us on the break once and score or they're going to catch us at a set piece and score. Um, you know, it's not very often you see the Albion put eight men behind the ball and get beaten in a goal mass scramble. You know, we're, we're incredibly adept at defending that, but... When it comes to defending counter-attacks and set pieces, we are atrocious at it. Um, you know, their, their one goal that they scored was from a fast break. Um, they only had one fast break all game, and they scored from it, you know. Uh, we had, they had three set pieces, and they could have scored again there as well. Um, so something's got to change. And, you know, to me, it seems obvious that that, that change is in the striking department. We, we don't have another option for us to play in. You know, we, we are set up to have to play to feet because that is the only option we have. And that is why I said in the summer, 
Um, you know, I believe that we would live to regret the fact that we didn't go all in on getting Ollie McBurney. Um, you know, he fits the mold of Glenn Murray, but quick and pacey. Um, and, you know, if you had that height of Ollie McBurney up there yesterday, um, there is there is a huge problem for Aston Villa because their game plan of, you know, marking Connolly and Mopai out of the game uh, with any balls to feet by being totally all over them, you know, that, that doesn't apply for Ollie McBurney because he's he's a big lad. He's, what, 6'1", um, and can win aerial battles against these central defenders and cause them all sorts of problems. And Glenn Murray however great he is and we all love him doesn't have the pace necessary to be able to do this job all the time um and i think that's where we're suffering you know we don't have that option to be able to both go long um and win an aerial battle and play along the ground and do what we've been doing for a long time we, we seem to be stuck with only being able to do one thing or the other and that kind of issue is something we need to address this transfer window it is we are in desperate need of making those changes because if we don't um we're we're in we're already in big trouble in my opinion but if we don't strengthen in this window uh, and bring in a striker i think we're in we're in very big trouble um and it's all of our own making that's the worst part about it uh it's avoidable you know teams are going out there and spending the money they need to bring in these players and we're not doing it so we need to get to work um and we shall see so Moving on to the player stats, uh, you know, that does make a bit better reading, to be fair. Um, I was a lot happier with some of the players on the pitch than uh, than I have been in the past. So let's get to it. So let's start with Dale Stevens, shall we? Because he is the he is the polar polarizing man. And I said a couple of weeks ago that he looks far, far below his best. Um, and, you know, we should really consider whether he is someone we want to continue playing uh, in the current form he's in. So uh, yesterday he had one shot, one key pass, 84% pass accuracy, uh, won two aerial battles. Um, and then in defensive, uh, in the defensive way, he ruled the roost yesterday. Uh, four total tackles, um, second most on the team. Uh, three interceptions, joint second most on the team. Two clearances, uh, second um, in the this, in this team and uh, only committed the one foul and for a team that you know has a lot of tricksy players up there Trezeguet uh, Jack Grealish and a couple of the others the fact that he only committed one foul all day was incredibly impressive um, I thought he was excellent and you know he, he looked like to he looked like the sort of person we really needed um, in that area uh, and I thought he was I thought he played incredibly well um, the other person Always worth bringing up. Uh, I thought Matt Ryan was excellent again yesterday. Uh, made a couple of excellent saves. Um, and Leandro Trossard. Uh, I thought that was probably his best game he's had for us as a starter um, so far this season. He did his defensive work very well indeed. Um, three total tackles. That was third most on the team. Um, and a clearance to boot. Uh, committed a couple of fouls. But, you know, I'm not going to be too upset about that because he, he worked hard. Um, one shot, one on target, goal, one key pass. Uh, 73% pass accuracy uh, and had 62 touches of the ball. Um, third most on the team. No, that's a lie. Nowhere near third most on the team. Um, but 62 touches of the ball uh, was a lot more than he's had in recent games. So, 
this is a man that you need to just get the ball to, man. Like, get the ball to him, let him do what he's doing, um, and we'll see how he goes from there. But I just don't think he's being played enough right now, right? I think we all know that he's not a man that's getting a lot of games. Um, he's coming on more as an impact sub, and a lot of people even wondered if that was his best role uh, as impact sub. I thought yesterday showed that actually he um, he was very good indeed. A couple of players I'd, I wasn't very impressed with was Aaron Connolly. Uh, he was totally marked out of the game. There was very little he could do. Uh, the balls that went up high, he had no chance of winning because he's too small to be able to win the aerial battles. Um, and he was well and truly marked out of the game by, you know, a double job on the center halves. Um, felt bad for him. He had really nothing to feed off of um, due to our largely uninspired deliveries and uh, distribution. So felt bad for him. Um, he can do a lot more. Uh, but he wasn't really given any chance to succeed today. Um, and I thought that Aaron Moy was incredibly poor. Uh, Aston Villa seems to be a team that he struggles to play against. Uh, he really didn't play very well at all. Um, you know, he he didn't do a great job passing the ball. Um, you know, he didn't do a great job keeping the ball. He was dispossessed five times. That was more than anybody else on the entire team. Um you know, he won one aerial battle. He only had 52 touches of the ball, um, which was amongst the lowest on the team. Uh, Matty Ryan had 44 touches, for example. So the fact that he only had 55, uh, 52 says everything you need to know. Um, he was marked one and truly out of the game. And that's probably a big reason why we struggled so much. Um, you know, I, I don't know how we need to work going forward, um, but something needs to give here. Uh, because Pascal Gross, on the other hand, uh, came on in the 80th minute, uh, committed a key pass, um, you know, which is something that a lot of the p players on the pitch didn't do uh, in the creative role, um, and, you know, had a pass accuracy of 100%. Um, and I believe he, yes, he made two successful crosses in the time he was on the, in the pitch. Um, that is two more than anybody else in the entire 90 minutes of football. Um, we need to work that ball into the box in different ways and no one seems willing to cross that ball in the box um, other than Pascal Gross. So, you know, something has got to give here, people. Um, we have got to continue to evolve um, because if we don't, we're going to continue to get into deeper and deeper trouble. Um, my man of the match, though, without a single shadow of a doubt, was Bernardo. Um, I thought he totally stood out and I'm delighted to see it. I said that I thought he would be the man to, to kind of come into this role and be a blessing in disguise for him um i said it last week when we discussed dan burn being out for a long amount of time that despite how sad i am to lose dan burn um bernardo coming back in is probably going to be the biggest blessing we could get um he had five out of five successful tackles joint second in the game uh three out of three defensive aerial duels succeeded that was number one in the entire game uh he blocked a cross uh which was joint first given that there weren't a great amount of crosses coming in that's easy enough to do <laughs> um he created a chance you know that what that key pass um that he created was joint first with everybody else again not the most creative bunch today uh yesterday rather but he was amongst them um he took on his man four out of five times um, and, you know, was joint first in a success rate with that. And uh, he also made 11 out of 15 successful attack in third passes, joint first again. Um, you know, the guy was on fire. Um, he also had 97 touches of the ball. Um, that was more than anybody else by a country mile. This man was the focal point. Um, 
And, you know, if they wanted Dan Byrne to be the focal point a lot of the time going forward, Bernardo has taken it very comfortably. Uh, next two behind him, um, joint second in terms of touches, were Steven Alzate and Dale Stevens on 77 each. He had 20 more touches of the ball than anybody else in the team. Um, outrageous. You know, he. I thought he played incredibly well. Um, and if there is any positives we can take from it, it is the fact that Bernardo seems to be back and better than ever. Um Happy to see him back. Happy to see us kind of bring him in and get him firing on all cylinders again. Um, but, you know, next up comes uh, Bournemouth. And uh, to me, it's a must-win game. Um, I was going to be happy to say on here, uh, providing that we beat Villa, that I would, you know, I would bite your hand off for a point away at Bournemouth right now. Uh, not because of the way they're playing poorly. You know, if if we played them every week, um, you would expect us to beat them almost every week with the way they're currently playing. Um, but Albion don't play well against Bournemouth for the most part. You know, we kind of ended the hoodoo at the Amex. Um, not entirely convinced we can do it again in the space of kind of a month. So we have a huge um, opportunity to right the wrong of this weekend. Um, you know, I would expect kind of four points from these two games. Um, if we could only take two or less, we're in uh, we're in deep doo doo, um, and being left in a situation where I feel like the Bournemouth game is a must win um, is very much far from ideal. Uh, you know, I think it's safe to say now that there was a lot of people unhappy with my view yesterday, saying that we are in deep deep shit. Um, but I think we're playing ourselves into it. And, you know, yesterday we beat ourselves again. Um, we've played, what, 23 games now? We have 15 to go. Um, I think everybody agrees that 40 points this season will see us safe, uh, simply because it is a lot tighter than usual and teams are getting results. Um, E.g. Burnley just beat Leicester at home. Um, and we are going to need that slightly bigger edge of points um, compared to the last couple of years. Uh, I'm not sure 38 will be enough. Um, and the points total we had last year most certainly won't be. So we need another 15 points to be safe, which is five wins. Um, uh, you know, after yesterday's result, I am beyond uh, picking and choosing where we're going to get them. Um, you know, they could come anywhere. But the fact is we need five more wins from our last 15 games to seal survival. That is a third of these games we need to come away with a win. Um, where they come from, I don't know. And I'm concerned about it. And I think it's fair to be concerned about it. You know, we've won six games in 23 and we now need to win another five in 15. And for those people out there saying, well, so do the teams around us. I, I understand that. But teams around us are in much better forms than much better form than we are. Uh, Watford are unbeaten in their last six. Uh, you know, they don't look like a team that are going to struggle to pick up another 17 points this season. Um Aston Villa are assigning a lot of very good players in this transfer window. If, you know, one or two of them can hit the ground running, that's a team that should be able to pull themselves out of that trouble. Uh, West Ham are a team that, you know, uh, under David Moyes, whether they can pull themselves around again, I am not sure. Uh, I think they're a team that are in as much trouble as we are. Um, Burnley, I think, are always going to have enough uh, simply because there are teams around us that are teams around them that are worse, um, including us right now. So, you know, we've played 23, we've won 6, we've drawn 7, we've lost 10. Um, we need to get 10, 10 or 11 wins on the board. Um, and I do not know where they come from, so we'll see. Uh, but, you know, I'm not I'm not being negative. I'm just, I'm just pointing out the fact that we need 5 wins from the next 15. And 
we are struggling to see where those wins come from. And if you think that's negative or being a fake fan, then so be it. Um, but, you know, I, I, I am concerned. Um, and those concerns will very much be, be alleviated somewhat if we can uh, if we can go to Bournemouth and get a win there, uh, because that's not a result I expect to get. So fingers crossed we can go to Bournemouth and get a result. Um, I would not be upset to see Glenn Murray start on Tuesday. Uh, I'm not sure on what formation is our best formation anymore. Um, I don't think Potter knows either, and that's part of the problem. Um, but to put my uh, to lay it all out there very quickly, uh, I will not be pro Potter out at all for the rest of the season. There is no way you're going to hear me say that I want Potter sacked at any point between now and the 17th of May. Um, if we go down, I think that Potter is the right man to continue playing uh, the football we're playing and managing us. Um, you know, barring a full-on Royal Rumble fistfight uh, on the pitch at the end of the year um, between Potter and the players, I, I don't want him going anywhere. I think he is the right appointment, and I think we're doing a lot of the right things. Um, but there does come a point where you look at Chris Hutton and you say, OK, uh, Chris has been playing ultra-defensive football um, to keep us in the Premier League for last year at least, right? I don't think it was as bad in the first year, but he played incredibly ultra-defensive football to try and keep us in the Premier League, and it worked just by the skin of our teeth simply because there was three teams worse than us. At this point, Brighton are playing a lot better football under Potter, a lot more attractive, um, a lot more, uh, you know, chances created, shots taken, um, but we're also struggling to get the same results, right? We're struggling in the same ways as we were struggling last year and the year before. Um, at what point do you realize that you've got to stop blaming the manager here? Um, there is bigger problems with the squad uh, than there is with the with the managerial staff. If you can't win, if you're having to drag us over the line playing ultra-defensive football and you're having to drag us over the line playing attractive, expansive football, the squad is the problem more than the manager is. Um and that is where investment is heavily needed. If we if we want to stay up, we need to invest in January this month. We have, what, 20, 10, 10 11 days to go? Because it's the 19th today, 20th when you're listening to this. Um, and we, you know, we have to invest heavily in the summer. Um, we should have a real big clear out next summer if we stay up. And if we go down, we have to have a clear out anyway because we're going to be down and we're not going to be able to afford half the players we have. So we'll see. Um, big one on Bournemouth. Big one on Tuesday. Huge game before the international break. Must win. Um, next up, we have uh, story number one is going to be our non-league heroes. Uh, we are not done here. We have a non-league heroes segment with myself and Robin uh, where we cover three players from yesteryear that came up through the ranks of the non-league world. Um, some very good names on there. I'm sure you'll enjoy them greatly. Uh, it was fun to to revisit watching the likes of uh, Nathan Elder play football for the Albion. So uh, I will see you all next week to cover the Bournemouth game um, and the transfer window. By that point, it's going to be, what, Sunday the 26th. Um, so you would hope that we'll see a lot more movement then. Um, and then the following week uh, is going to be international week. So we'll see what we can rustle up for you. Um, but I'm anticipating having a pretty busy podcast anyway, um, because that Sunday uh, or that Friday and Saturday rather are the transfer deadline day. Um, so I will see you all next week um, for another show. And, you know, any thoughts, feedback, concerns, let me know. And here is story number one, non-league heroes. Yeah. Happy New Year. 
Good, good to be back. You've um, you've you've got a, a few good episodes in the can, which I was listening to on my drive yep, to work the other day, which is good. But no, good to be back. Discuss some non-league. I'm searching for the right adjective. I was going to go with heroes, but that's somewhat ironic. Um, yeah. No, non-league prospects that didn't turn Maybe, out to be quite yeah. as. Such, I think that's but... probably the best way, <laughs> best way of wording <laughs> it. Um, so yeah, today we'll be going over uh, three players that we snagged from the, the non-leagues um, and kind of going over their life since signing for us and then after signing for us. Um, who would you like to start with? Um, Nathan Elder. Okay. That's where I would start. Um, All right, Perfect. Another one, I know it's becoming a bit of a theme of this, is that he's another striker in that period of time where we were searching for a bit of a a golden nugget, which, you know, basically every other club in the lower leagues is searching for either a bargain striker from abroad. And obviously we've touched on that a few times and how badly that went generally for the Albion um, or searching non-league to try and find value and goals and someone who's got the ability to step up. And this yeah. was our first sort of foray into that, um, into that market. Yeah, Every, everyone's looking for the next Jamie Vardy. Yeah, and I suppose, I mean, Peterborough had quite a lot of success, didn't they? I mean, they pl- obviously we've talked about them, but people like, um, obviously, Craig McHale-Smith yeah. came from Norway. Yeah, Aaron McLean, I think George Boyd as well. They had that sort of, particularly had that trio, I think, who all of them had, they'd plucked out of various stages of non-league um, yep. around that sort of time. So, yeah, this was our attempt to um, to try and find the next big thing. So he Did would have you been know twins. that George Boyd is back at Peterborough? No, I didn't. Yeah, That's he signed for them this year. I did not know that he was at, um, He's done a bit of a tour around. I know he was at he Hull has for done a while. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. Yeah, he was at Sheffield Wednesday last. Oh, yeah, that was where I was thinking about him. Anyway. But yeah, yes, so Nathan, Nathan Elder was uh, 21, I think, about when he joins us. January 2007, because he's 34 yep. now, which is yep, mental. Again, you just think he should be much older because it feels like decades Forever. ago. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so he's 21. He joins in January 2007, and we pay a simply staggering fee of £10,000 for him. Which, yeah. even even with that, I feel shortchanged. Feel like uh, they truly feel like they've and oversold him at that point. We've we've talked about this a lot as well, like the the growth that we've seen over the last ten years, and this is as good as it gets for that kind of small. Oh, yeah, example. No, this is this is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so we pay ten k. Dean Wilkins is the boss, um, and yeah, comes in, scores his first goal on the last day of that season in a 1-1 draw away to Cheltenham. And then yep. he scores his only other goal for the Albion just before he leaves in another 1-1 draw away to Oldham. Yes, so I was there for both for... of his goals. Oh, really? Yeah, I was. Mem- yeah, that Cheltenham Mem- game was to uh, stay up. Oh, yes, of course, yeah. And it was it was quite memorable because I thought we were ballsed and the uh, he rose highest at the end opposite us and headed a goal in. And well, nobody could quite believe 
no one could believe that when the name started going around that it was Nathan Elder that had bagged it. Everybody was shocked. Well, there you go. 10K well spent, maybe. Possibly. alone. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he stays for pretty much a year and only yep. scores those two goals. So, I mean, somehow we managed to sell him to Brentford for a tidy profit. Yeah. Sold him How for does 35 grand. Which I know is not, you know, it's not massive, but, you know, we've trebled our money on him in a year yeah. and he's not really done much. So I'm wondering whether this was like, this was the beginning of Tony Bloom getting involved and negotiating like a bit of a hero. Um, yeah, truly, because that is just astounding. The fact that we, I mean, this is just a, a nice example of just how uh, dodgy how our, our recruitment staff are when it comes to strikers too, because why we picked this man out, he paid... He played only 26 games from 2004 to 2007 for Billericay. Yeah. What What was it about you that made you think, well, he's making about eight appearances a year <laughs> for three years. Let's, let's bring him in. Yeah, he's exactly what we need. So, yeah, he leaves, leaves to go and join Brentford. Actually scores on his debut for them in a 3-2 away win at Mansfield. And that game was refereed by a current Premier League referee. Ooh. Was it Kevin Friend? It wasn't Kevin Friend and it wasn't Mike Dean, which was going to be your next guess. Mm. Uh, It was refereed by John Moss. Oh, okay. So there we go. That's a bit of a tidbit trivia on the side. So then he goes on to score 10 goals in 44 games in just over two seasons for Brentford. Um, who were in League Two at the time. They were, yeah. So then he goes off, plays for various people, Shrewsbury, AFC Wimbledon, uh, Hayes and Yedding, then makes a random move back to Hereford. So that was back to the EFL, having been out of the football, having him been playing out of the Football League for a while. Ebbsfleet, Dover, Tunbridge Angels, and finally Sittingbourne. So he finishes his career with... 109 goals in 415 games, yep. which is what, one in, one in four, one in three. However, half of those goals came for Tunbridge in the last three seasons of his career. Yeah, he made, so he made over a, 100 appearances for Tunbridge. So it sort of tips the, it sort of takes the gloss off it slightly, doesn't it? When half a of those bit. goals are at, the, <laughs> at whatever level, I'd imagine, fairly low down. So he's uh, now Isthmian, Isthmian League Isthmian Premier, Premier Yeah. So that, that that leads me on nicely, actually, to you've probably found the same thing. He's now assistant manager at Hythe Town FC. Yes. Who play in the Isthmian South East League, which I was trying to work out. It's four levels below League Two. So you've got Isthmian South East, which is what they're in. If you win, that, if you get promoted from that, you go into Isthmian Premier. Premier. If you're promoted from that, you go into Conference South. Right, and then obviously conference national, and then the EFL. Yeah, so yes, it's also. Forwards. Did you? Uh, yeah, it's yeah. worth touching on his uh, his bit of a disaster at Brentford. Did you read about that? I uh, I read about it on Wikipedia and then found a further article on it. Um, oh, no, the, you go. the I didn't read super injury that. he got. So he uh, no. he won the he won a championship medal with Brentford. Um, oh right, but so he, he winning league two then. Yeah, but his season was ended early. Uh, he actually got into a pretty severe head-to-head clash with a lad called Pablo Mills at Rotherham, um, and, oh, and it ended name. his entire season. Um, he had uh, a double fracture of the cheekbone, a fractured eye socket, 
severe traumas to the eyeball and extensive bleeding in and around the eye. Um, oh. He was, yeah, he, it was revealed in April uh, of 2009, the vision in his left eye would never be 100% again. Um, and people oh, are actually surprised. saying that. I was that. Losing. <laughs> so, yeah, wild. Wow. That is wild. That sounds like a heck of a clash, doesn't it? Yeah, I've, I tried wow. to find footage of it, but couldn't. But I didn't. I've got to admit, I didn't search too deeply for it because I was looking no. just to see what it would look like. It's probably but... one of those innocuous ones, isn't it? That's probably a lot of these finds you've not even picked up on camera. But that it was like. Uh, do you remember? Do you remember Jimmy McNulty almost? Oh, with himself? his kidney thing, kidney? wasn't he? Lost yeah. it, ended and up losing, looked... losing his kidney, didn't he? And that didn't look like. And I mean, it didn't look great, but at the same time, it didn't look like it was life. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I just remember them going up. It just looked like a normal challenge, pretty much, didn't yeah. it? And he just looked like he landed from memory. Sort of, just looked like he landed pretty awkwardly. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's one. Often it can be very innocuous. So yeah, so we did pretty well to go on and keep banging in goals at various levels. The other random thing, which you probably read as well, that is he, he worked as a recruitment consultant. Yeah, left football. So I don't know. I don't know if he's still doing that now because obviously he's semi pro. He's an assistant manager at a semi pro club. So I'm guessing he's got he's got to have some Something other career to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah. So right. whether he's still doing that, I don't know. But yeah, another one who is. It's not even one who came with this enormous pedigree. So it's not even one that I'm sort of disappointed didn't turn out to be the next big thing because you couldn't really make an argument for him being the next big thing, even when he arrived. Right. Yeah, not at all. So it was a very bizarre one in my book. So there we are, Nathan Elder. Yeah. Anything else to add on him before we move on? No, that was it. I just wanted to cover the fact that he almost lost an eye. And that was Yeah, no, that was good. I, didn't, <laughs> I hadn't read about that. And yeah, sympathy, because that sounds pretty nasty, to be honest. Yeah, brutal. Um, I was going to suggest that we move on to Chris Holroyd because I want to keep Johnny Dixon for the end based on the Good. fact that... That's what I was uh, hoping for. He is, uh, he's got a pretty colourful uh, post, post-football career. So that's truly. an interesting one. So Chris Holroyd, who's another one, he sort of fits into that Nathan Elder category, but he came with a bit more of, of a pedigree. Um, scored quite a lot of goals for Cambridge United. Um, it, which would have been at sort of conference national level at that point. Yep. He scores quite a lot of goals in the first half of the 2009-2010 season. He scores something like 15-odd goals in the first half of that season, which then prompts the Albion to buy him in the January window. Who on earth knows why? But couldn't find the fee. Saw it as undisclosed. Couldn't find it anywhere as to what it is. I'd imagine somewhere in the 30 to 50,000 pound range would be that, a I mean, fairly educated guess based on sort of other fees at the time. So he comes in and he's with us basically for nine months, as far as I can tell, largely makes 16 appearances and scores no goals at all. Yep. Which is nightmare. Just, yeah, just didn't work out. I mean, it's another one. In theory, I suppose, you know, he had a fairly good pedigree at conference national level. So you could make the argument for him to step up to League One in the way that we've talked about, you know, Mikhail Smith, George Boyd, Aaron McLean, etc. So he's obviously he's come from a bit more of a 
you can see the pedigree there as opposed to Nathan Elder. Obviously, he's come right. through, you know, he's come through, I think, came through Cruise Youth Academy, which obviously was fairly well-renowned. Yes, absolutely. Time. So he's, so his pedigree is there. He's scoring goals in the National League. So you can at least see the argument. Yeah, you can see the kind of the logical trail they went down this time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And obviously, it just didn't didn't turn out to be that way. He then goes out on loan to Stevenage and Berry before we release him, and he goes on to join Rotherham, Preston, Macclesfield, Morecambe, Wrexham, and most recently Chorley. Yeah, and and I, he I never said really to you the other night anywhere, did he? Yeah, I said to you the other day. I actually I watched him play ninety minutes for Wrexham against Hartlepool in January 2018. And I have actually just gone back to the BBC report just to make sure that I'm not making this up because he played the entire (laughs) 90 minutes of the game. And I knew that he was playing... When I went to the game, I knew knew that he was at Wrexham. So I thought he, he might be playing, but I didn't really pay much attention. And he was on the pitch for the entire game. And I didn't even realize that he'd played until after the game had finished. So much was his uh, so bad. his contribution, and actually the worst thing is is that Wrexham won that game two nil, and they were just the dominant team for the entire game. So as a striker in a team you dominating be a game, <laughs> yeah, and I just don't remember him doing anything at all. Uh, from what I've been looking at, uh, Chris Holroyd is also a very good uh, cautionary tale to all the Albion fans out there um, that. Uh, taking a lot of a lot of weight on Andy Naylor. Um, I actually found a article from the 29th of January, the day before we signed him, uh, from Andy Naylor with the classic kind of Andy says no. Um, we have oh, no yes, interest in going to sign him. Um, and of course, the following day we went ahead and brought him in. So it's just a cautionary tale of you know this is this is uh, ten years of uh, pedigree we've got from Naylor of not quite being on the nose because <laughs> we went and ahead and yeah, signed him the next day. The so. various other ones, there are very. I mean, there's there's a whole. You could probably have a whole team of signings that we've made that Andy Naylor has said no to at some point. Yeah. So there we go. Cautionary tale. I also so, yeah, so found. He's a, not... yeah. I also found a a um a thread on Chris Holroyd on Norwich City's uh the Pinken message board on the 29th of January with the rumour that he was signing for them and they were not happy about that idea so clearly Norwich had the right idea of what what he could bring to a team yeah. because there was a lot of sad fans and probably yeah exactly so he's now he's still playing at conference national level now for Chorley and has scored a whopping seven goals in the first half of the season so which is about he's in a relatively rich vein of form yeah so good luck to him. I mean, he's still only 33. It's absolutely I know, it's, mad. It is wild. The fact that both the both Holroyd and Nathan Elder are both three or four years younger than Glenn Murray. Yeah, that is. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's a uh, wild one. Yeah, and I suppose yeah, nothing else really. Obviously, he's still playing, so not really got anything. Doesn't really seem to have had any interesting. Um, snippets off the field or anything like that right which is obviously not what can be said about johnny dixon correct which correct. is just yeah i mean he's this is another by one. Far the best one yeah no, this is this is brilliant um 
he is another one that you could he came with that same sort of pedigree as Chris Holroyd having you know having scored goals in the national league for Aldershot I think it was yes it um, was yeah 39 appearances 15 goals so again similar you can see and it would have been he's 35 now and he joins us in 2008 so 12 years yeah, so again he's early 20s again yep so you can see the you can sort of see the um you know the pedigree or the you know the potential there as to why we might have picked him up he's already he's, obviously before Aldershot he played for Wickham so he'd had a bit of he had a bit of um league league football with them yeah um, he made 73 appearances for Wickham albeit over yeah. 6 years but he was playing games yeah and he scored he scored five goals in his only seven starts for them as well yep which is pretty good. So again, you can see absolutely why the Albion probably thought that he might have been a a good shout. Yeah, you can understand it. Yeah. So Aldershot paid a whopping six thousand pounds to sign him from Wickham uh, in two thousand and seven, and Aldershot then sold him to us a year later for fifty five thousand. Yeah, that is they did, uh, that's they did pretty well stuff. out of us. So he comes in and then he's immediately injured. Yep. During basically his first training session at the club. <laughs> which was, if that's not a sign of things to come. Truly. Um, so, yeah, over the course of the next year, he only makes five appearances for us. Scores no goals whatsoever. And doesn't Goes ever out. look like scoring, if I can remember no, correctly. No, really. Like, he could have been the only player on the pitch and still inspired to be part of a nil-nil draw yeah uh we send him off on loan to gray's athletic and then Eastley, and so much so that he then decides that football's not for him and terminates his contract and retires yeah and i think 2009 which would have been aged he'd have been aged 25 yep um and, you know, his his life outside of football uh, in 2009, you know, it's hard to it's hard to hate him too much because I believe he was he was was he not a music producer in his. Yeah, he time? was a bit yeah, Gergen Lacardia like. Yeah, exactly. This He is a yeah, he is a, an early an early Jürgen Lacardia. Yeah. So he'd <laughs> been a partner in a in some sort of music. I'm not sure whether it was a producer or some sort of music management business, something in the music industry. Yeah, that he'd been involved in, um, and he decides that he's going to go off and do that. Some point in there, which I'm sure you were going to mention, he ends up dating Holly Valance. Yeah, which is just—I mean, it's—I don't, don't even know where dude, to begin. This wasn't. That. This wasn't kind of like this is peak Holly Valance as well. This is yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> this is when she is a relatively world famous musician. Yeah, and I mean, and for somehow, anybody who doesn't Johnny, know yeah. Holly Valance is, please do Google her. Um, she is an absolute worldie, and the fact that Holly Valance picked up Johnny Dixon <laughs> is uh, is quite incredible. I mean, she's the kind of person at the time who was sort of on the cover of FHM and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so really was quite well well known around the world, and she's decided that Johnny Dixon is the man for her. Which is, yeah, is baffling. Which is... It's, it's baffling in so many ways. 
Wow. So yeah, his um his music career doesn't really seem to have gone anywhere. Nope. That's all. He I then moves on to be a TV producer instead. Yes. And he's been on some clap. I mean, he's, for those listeners who in the UK who watch a fair amount of daytime TV, Johnny Dixon has been involved in a classic four in a bed as a producer and director, which is again just the most random thing that you can ever really think about. Yep. It's just it's just bonkers. And also I've actually got was... a list of his television credits here as well. I'm sure you have. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to also say that he was in the uh, listed as a producer on The Valleys, which was a fairly short-lived sort of Geordie Shaw forerunner set in Wales. Yep. He was also a producer on series 3 of Love Island. Really? Mhm. That's quite a... Which is I mean, that's quite yeah, high up, really, random. these days. Yeah, I mean, that's like... I don't know what series they're on now, but, I mean, that's obviously one of ITV's biggest hits, so... Yeah. He also had TV credits for Sun, Sex and Suspicious Parents, uh, Come Dine With Me, Don't Tell the Bride, uh, My Big Fat American Gypsy Wedding, of course, The I Valley mean, these, is like the biggest thing, so... These are all staples of, um, of sort of trashy British TV, aren't they? They are. They are trashy reality TV in England. And uh, Johnny Dixon has got his finger in every pie, unsurprisingly. It is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I mean, he's obviously, he's got a bit of a nose for a TV hit, doesn't he? He does. Um, I also think it's worth... for goal, but... I think he was also, uh, he didn't he design clothes at one point? I feel like he oh, designed yeah, clothing. Think... Yeah, there was another random... I've just found an article here, actually, that is saying that, yeah, he he did actually design clothes. Um, he actually had, when he signed for us, he was wearing um, a jumper that he actually made himself. Uh, so he really was kind of like a, a mix of Jürgen Lacardia and Kemi Augustine uh, in that he just came in with about eight different loves outside of the Albion. And uh, did better in everything else than scoring goals. Just, I mean, it, it, uh, what a guy! I'm sort of lost for words, really. It's also it's... worth noting that uh, Holly Valance went on to marry a billionaire uh, English property developer. So the fact that you know this is. It's quite a step up, of course, <laughs> to go from Johnny Dixon to a uh, British property billionaire. billionaire. Yeah, <laughs> but that I mean, is Johnny kind Dixon of the level does like, he, like he does look. He did look like he said he sort of should have been a billionaire in like Riviera or something like, or some other Sky Atlantic drama, doesn't he? He's got that. You're sort right. Of, he had You're that right. sort of slick back hair. He looks like he should be basically the son of an oligarch, doesn't he? Yeah, no, you're spot on. He was he was almost ahead of his time in that, like he has that he had the perfect Love Island look yeah, before basically. Love Island was a thing. <laughs> it, it, you'll probably find out that Johnny Dixon conceived the whole idea of Love Island. It would be unsurprising um, to see him kind of think that up and just be so terrible on a football pitch. And the football pitch was his first job. Ah, it's just, I mean. Yeah, wow. What a guy. What a legend. 
Um, that pretty much wraps up the three, though. Do you have any thoughts, yeah. feelings, concerns on the transfer window? We're recording on January 16th, so uh, just wondering um, if you're going to put your two cents I always, in. I always have concerns about everything Albion related <laughs> at any given moment. There's always something worrying me. Um, yeah, I am. I do have concerns. I would obviously like to see us, like everyone else, bring in a striker. But I think the club are probably fairly wary of having another Lacadia um, experiment where you bring yeah. in someone who you think is going to... We basically need someone. If we're going to bring someone in, it's someone who's basically going to have to hit the ground running. Yep. Given the, given the games that we've got coming up over the next you know four to six weeks. We don't really have time to bed someone in, give them a few weeks to get up to speed. Right, I think that's. We just, I think don't, that's we just don't have January, the luxury right? of. Yeah, we don't have the luxury of that. So that basically means that you either have to gamble on a Lacadia style signing from abroad. You have to gamble on them being obviously match fit, scoring goals in whatever league they're coming from. You have to gamble on them hitting the ground running and scoring goals from the off, which is obviously not a given at all. Uh, or, yeah. It never is in January. No, exactly. Or you have to push the boat out financially and go for someone, you know, either from the championship who's scoring bucket loads of goals um, or spend a bit more money on a higher pedigree signing from Europe. Again, not guaranteed to be a success. Right. So it's a bit of a difficult one. I mean, I think it seems Glenn Murray seems to be inching closer towards the exit door which would suggest if the club are going to let him go, that would suggest that they're fairly confident of bringing in someone. I mean, I would have suggested even if he wasn't going, we'd still have needed someone. Agreed. Um, so if if the club are going to let him go, which obviously we don't know, but there have been lots of rumours and speculation that he is going, then that would suggest that the club are fairly confident of bringing someone in. I mean, I... I'm reticent to let Glenn go, really. I mean, even when he came on at Everton, he had two really good chances. He almost, yeah. That, he almost scored I mean, twice. He could have, <laughs> yeah, and, exa- and it wasn't like he didn't do the wrong thing in either of those scenarios. Right, He got exactly. a really good head on the ball, and it was a good save, and he managed to get his foot to quite a difficult chance, which went inches past the post. So it wasn't like he had two chances and made a complete mess of them. Like, he did as well as you would have expected, you know, any decent striker to do, which is he... You know, his header was going for... He nearly planted it in the corner. It was on target. And his little dink over the keeper, you know, on other days would have gone in as yeah. opposed to just going wide. So my point is that he's still... If you're going to if you're gonna let him go, then you need to have a fairly good option who's coming in instead of him. Yeah. Because and he's obviously still a, got something to give. We're at a phase in the championship too where nobody really strikes me with any kind of, uh, like, hope either. Like, last year we had Mopai. Um, and a couple of other players that were banging in goals for fun at that level. But this year we've got uh, Ollie Watkins at Brentford. Um, and Ollie Watkins is more of a Pascal Gross-type player anyway. Um, yeah. Like he's not an out-and-out striker. Mitrovic, and they're of going course. for promotion as well, aren't they? So, I mean... Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're in his position, in theory, us and Brentford could be swapping positions in six months' time. Yeah, worst-case scenario for us. I don't think yeah. we are. I don't think we will, but, you know... It's not beyond the bounds of possibility. So he's right. not necessarily going to commit to Premier League football for six months 
potentially to then see his other club bypass him. Yeah, I think the obvious one on there really that's listed because you've also got a couple that do not fill me with any hope. Carlin Grant, Naki Wells, Lewis Grab, and I think Jared Bowen is really the only one on that list that you would think would be a good signing. But even then, he isn't an out-and-out striker. If I like, no, he's he not more, more of a, winger, yeah. yeah, he's more of a Trossard than he is a, a yeah, exactly. Mobile Murray. So it's I mean, it's I think extra need, tough this year. We basically we need a Murray equivalent. That's Agreed. the type of striker that we need. Um, because as, as Glenn showed when he came on the other day, it, it, it immediately we started to look a bit more solid up front. Particularly away from home. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but away from home, you do often want the more physical striker just to stop the, you know, hold the ball up to stop the attacks constantly coming at you in waves. Yep. So you want and we have can, so yeah. many good crosses of the ball too. Yeah, and basically, yeah, exactly. And we insist on, well, we don't insist, but, you know, Morpé is not the tallest person in the world and neither is Aaron Connolly. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the whole idea of crossing, we don't seem to do it as much as we should, but that's another, that's another, um, that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> but um, Although we did yeah. when Glenn came on. Well, exactly. So it shows that we, that is a, arguably that is our better route to go. I know it's quite sort of un- unpotable um, right but it, it is a fairly fairly good route to go so yeah i mean i think the club will probably be looking for someone in the glen the glen mold but then there aren't that many there aren't that many strikers in the glen murray mold really no there isn't um all right before we finally wrap up thing anyway i'm going to ask you one more question uh next six games uh, aston villa at home bournemouth away west ham away watford at home Sheffield United away, Crystal Palace at home. How many points are we taking from that next six? Um, I'm going a win 18 on Saturday. 18 points available. I'm going a win on Saturday. I'm going a point against Bournemouth. Uh, what's after that? West Ham. West Ham away. I'm going nothing against West Ham. What for at home? home? Point. That's five. Yep. Who's after that? Sheffield, Sheffield United. United away. Nothing. Palace at and home. And then finally Palace at home. Three. Eight points. Eight, eight points, yeah. Doesn't really leave us any better off than we are now, I think. Eight points no. is, uh, I would prefer I mean, ten. You could, could, I mean, <laughs> you, could see, you could see what, I mean, the thing is, it's, it's really tricky because you can, I could, I could see 18 points there just as easy as I could see Naught. Yeah, it is that way I mean, this that's year. That's the weird thing. Like, it, you could make a case for us winning and losing and drawing any of those games. Like, yeah. We, the one thing that we haven't really done since we got promoted to the Premier League is go on a proper little winning run. I know we had those last season. We had those three one-nil wins in a row, didn't we? Yeah. Like, in sort of October, which ended up basically keeping us up. When we beat, what, Wolves, West Ham and Newcastle. Yep. And then we had that little mini run, the little mini run right at the end where we got the points against Palace, Huddersfield and was there someone else? But that, yeah, that basically made us safe as well. But yeah, we haven't yet really been on a a sort of decent, consistent streak of results. So it'd be quite nice if now this is the time we could pull out, you know, three or four wins in the next six games. Yeah, this is the time to do it. 
<laughs> I think 12. I mean, well, how many points have we got now? 26? Uh, we are on 24 points from 22 24. games. So, I mean, if you think, well, I mean, 18, if we were to win all six, we would basically be safe. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That would put us on, what, 38 points 40, already? 42, what was 42. that, 6, 18, 42 points. Yeah, so, yeah, that's that's game game set and match if we were but, to... I mean, realistically, game because we've got, we've got a few... We've got a few winnable games. I think we've we've got quite a kind end to the season this year. We do, relatively. which makes like, a change. They haven't sent us <laughs> off to. They they're not trying to relegate us by sending us off to everyone, like you know, everyone under the sun in the top four or top six. So realistically, if we were to get three or four wins, you know, if we were to get twelve points out of eighteen, let's say, which is a sort of, if we're looking at it with a glass half full attitude, twelve yeah. out of eighteen is probably about reasonable in terms of you know positive expectation if we were to get 12 points that takes us to 36 which yeah. is really within then it's really within striking distance i know there's probably going the the points required to stay up is probably going to be higher this year yeah i know we seem to say I that agree. every year but obviously really this year there's only really norwich who are cut adrift because everyone else has in various patches has started winning games yeah but you know if we were to get 12 points then we would be in a very good position and obviously the the flip side of that is that all the teams that we were are playing and beating on lot losing to are also losing out on the chance to get three points aren't they so exactly they of, are it's a bit of a double it's a bit of a double whammy yeah i mean so if I'm we hoping... were to do something like that we would be left with even if you say 40 is the target we would left we would be left needing four points from 10 games and you would think that if we can't do that then we probably deserve to go down <laughs> yeah exactly a couple of wins really um so yeah i mean yeah, could make a case for. I mean, I just think we've got to beat Aston Villa, really. Yeah, I think that's got to beat them. That is the that is the, the kick. The, that's the sort of kickstart. Is so you know they've got plenty of injuries. Obviously, we know they're signing Samata, but he's not. He won't gonna, be ready. Even if he, well, even if he signs, he, his work permit won't be done in time anyway. So right. Um, so it's a good time to play them. Plenty of people out injured. But obviously, you know, Bournemouth as well. I mean, you could make a case for us winning at Bournemouth. Obviously, they're in I mean, total they are disarray. Right now. Yeah. Um, West Ham, you never know really who you're going to get with them. Yep. That's the difficulty. Yeah, because um, I mean, I thought that I thought that West Ham were on a good run, putting four past Bournemouth, and then I remembered that we Bournemouth like are Bournemouth terrible. are terrible. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, it's difficult. So I mean, you could make it. That's what I say. You can make an easy. Obviously, Watford. Have been in good form recently, but still, you know, at home, you'd expect to get a win. Palace, you never know. It depends if Sahar's going to go anywhere. I mean, obviously, they look dreadful in that home game. I don't know how they're 10th or whatever they are. Yeah, um, no, not at all. So, I mean, you really... Sheffield United, I can't see us getting anything there. Their home form um, is bang average, though. That's the, that's yeah, the only is. saving grace, is that they're really... Away form is the really, weirdly, going to be the reason they stay up this year. Is yeah. just how solid they've been away. So, so I say it's an odd thing. You can make a case, You can make a, a fairly easy case for us winning all six. Yeah, but there we are. Right. Anyway. Well, thank you for your time. No problem. And uh, we will soon. be back. Yeah, with an with another one. I'm trying to think of Who where we can go next. next. But yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll think of Cheers, something. Mate. All right. Bye.